Welcome to Winning Is Not Everything, where we bring sanity back to youth sports by focusing on character development, effort, and sportsmanship, not rankings and trophies. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, former NFL reporter, children's book author, and youth sports coach. I am not going to pretend that my childhood was as hard as J.R. Martinez, one of the most inspirational people in our country, but we shared a common challenge around identity that you won't want to miss. Stay tuned. I find the most powerful interviews, like any relationship, isn't one-sided. So when a guest is sharing deeply personal thoughts and insights, well, I welcome a chance to connect and be vulnerable too. So as J.R. Martinez shared his story of growing up, I opened up about one of mine, the uniqueness of being a Korean boy on military bases. The surprise to me though, was that when I was around Korean kids, they viewed me as not being Korean enough because I didn't speak the language and wasn't as entrenched in the culture. But that was something JR could relate to since his peers deemed him not Mexican enough. I'm excited for you to learn more about JR Martinez in part two of our conversation. Let's jump into it now. Now, JR, I know you love sports and, you know, I was adopted from Korea at six and my father who adopted me was in the Air Force, you know, so I know that we've got that military background and uh, we moved around several times and it is hard when you're a young person and you're moving, you get settled somewhere and now you got to start all over again. Very, very difficult to do that. But for me, sports was that area that that was my anchoring place. The fact that I could play sports and, you know, I'd move to a new community and I'd join a local sports team and boom, I suddenly had friends and teammates. I know you love sports. Which ones did you try and what were some of your favorites? Uh, football. I mean, football, hands down, was was my game, man. I loved it. I wasn't a star athlete. I wasn't this incredibly gifted athlete. I mean, if you look at any professional team, right, you have these, you know, certain athletes that you, those are the ones. Those those are the guys that you're like, you're going to you know ride them and, and hope that they can carry the team. But then you're going to have some role players. That's what I was. I was a good athlete and I listened and I was competitive and I worked hard, but I was just average height and five nine now. You know, I was about 180 then growing up. I wasn't exceptionally fast or strong. I was just a decent role player. And I love football. I played basketball one year. I tell you, like, I, so I love basketball too. Football first and then basketball. But I remember playing basketball one time and like I struggled with it and it didn't just come to me as naturally. And I would panic a little bit in the game if I got if the ball got in my hands I all of a sudden couldn't dribble and you know but defense I was like I was like I'm gonna be Rodman that's what I'm gonna be I'm just gonna be the <laughs> scrappy dude in everybody's faces locking you up and I'm cool with that and I'll embrace that right I was just like I'm just gonna be Rodman and I just remember one time being put into a game and I think I was in eighth grade and I literally got put into the game the, they ran the play the ball came to me and I was around the free throw line right and the ball came to me and I literally just turned around and I shot it and I wasn't supposed to and I just shot it and it wasn't that I shot it it was how I shot it I shot it so bad I hit the top of the backboard it didn't even hit the rim it's like I was throwing darts man 
And I had this for a long time. I, I, I did this and I finally came to this conclusion and I heard Will Smith talk about this when his youth, he talked about because his father was this guy that was really serious and we get upset and we get aggressive at times. Will developed this quality as a young boy that when he felt his dad in that place, he had to make him smile. He had to make him laugh. So Will carried that as he got into adulthood that when there was there any sort of energy that required like really his natural kid came out and he was just like, I got to be silly. I got to lighten up this whole mood. I, I don't know how to be in that environment. Well, I did that. My mother experienced a lot of trauma. And so anytime there was like this uncomfortableness, I would just, I would have to be silly. That was my way of sort of surviving it. So I was like, oh, mortified that I just threw that ball up and hit that backboard. And I knew it was horrible what I did. But instead of like, oh man, like, oh my bad, you know, like athletes do now. I instead, I ran down to the other end of the court laughing. Like I was like, <laughs> I was laughing. And dude, my coach called a timeout and pulled out of that game and told me to sit at the end of the bench. And that was the end of my basketball career. Like I was like, ah, maybe it's not for me, but I played football, man. And to your point about like, joining the team and being able to be embraced. Uh, sports was the thing that kept me, one, occupied, kept me distracted from all the other noise that was going on around me, but also sports gave me the opportunity to connect me with friends and just develop a little bit of a community. And that was honestly, in many ways, in a town where there wasn't a lot of opportunity, sort of felt like it was a little bit of my saving grace. And, you know, man, I had this really naive dream that I thought I was going to be a professional football player one day. I mean, I just told you I, I really wasn't that good at all. And But I had this crazy dream, man, just because I just saw it on TV. And I was just like, yeah. I guess I'll do aim for that. And obviously it was never going to happen. But because I had that dream, as naive as it was, it kept me focused. It kept wow. me away from all the nonsense and it kept me on the right path, which then I believe led me to the intersection in my life where it was like, okay, now you go down this road and this is where your life's meant to go. So um, sports has played an incredible role. I mean, it's allowed me to be embraced and adapt to new environments when I've moved around a lot. And I still have a couple friends that I talk to to this day that I played high school football with, not only in Arkansas, but also in Georgia. Well, I'm excited to ask you this question then. What's your favorite childhood sports-related memory? Was there a particular moment that just stands out in your mind? Oh, man. So, I mean, I got to I gotta tell you. So, because I grew up in Arkansas and everybody was like a Razorback fan and I wasn't. I was always an LSU fan, right? Always an LSU fan, Louisiana fan. I'm still a Saints fan to this day, diehard. That's right. But I love watching basketball. The Bulls, man. The Bulls in the 90s. And, you know, there was no other team for me to pull for because obviously I'm in Arkansas. There's no squad there. And I was like, yo, the Bulls, the Bulls. And I just remember the cool thing about my birthday's on uh, June 14th. And the finals always happen around, they end around June 14th. Usually that's always the case. And I just became, I think, like a lot of people, a Jordan fan, man. Unless you're, unless you're a Knicks fan, or unless you're, you know, a Heat fan, or a Celtics fan, then you don't like Jordan, you know. And if you're in the Eastern Conference, I remember them playing the Jazz in the finals, and I'm sitting there, and I just remember him 
get in the ball and sort of drive into the middle of the paint and then all of a sudden you know everyone the the, the big question is like did he push you know Byron Russell off with the left hand I remember that play he didn't he didn't no. push him off he didn't no, push him off no that's not a foul that no, wasn't that, a foul that, that's not all you gotta play through that Byron exactly man and, and I was like your momentum carried you too much Russell and so literally he just comes and then crosses that thing over sets up shoots that ball and I just remember I would always tell my mom that's Jordan's gift to me is he would always close it out around my birthday. And I'm like, that's that he gave me that gift. And I remember I finally got to go to the United Center um, probably about four years ago. And I went for a Bulls game, man. And dude, it was like this sort of nostalgic, like feeling and element of just being in that arena and thinking about like my childhood memories. I watched them take place on this very court but man the bulls the bulls are my squad jordan jordan was my thing man i, I you know it, and so i just remember that that particular drive and that play i mean just so vividly JR, which coach or teacher encouraged and inspired you most when you were younger? I'll tell you this, in Arkansas, when I was going through a lot of the challenges and the struggles, I remember my mom one day said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you off the football team, you know, because I know this is the thing you love and I'm just gonna take you off the football team. You're coming home late, you know, God knows what you're doing, which I was never doing. Like, I was just literally hanging out at the park with my friends. I was never, I never did drugs. I was never drinking. I wasn't part of like any sort of, you know, organized crime or anything of that nature. I was just like hanging out, being a silly kid and immature and, you know, trying to do willies on my bike, you know, like that was really all I was doing. But my mom was so paranoid that I would be out in the streets and I would get involved in something and something would happen to me or I would go down the wrong path. So she, you know, she was like, I'm going to kick you out. You know, I'm going to take you off the football team. And she did. And I remember being in ninth grade freshman and Coach Stubber, you know, this sort of this kind of wide guy, you know, like country strong, you know, that didn't lift weights, but you know he was strong. He, he could grab you, put his hands on you, and there was no way you were getting out of that. And he called my mom and he said, that would be the biggest mistake you can make because this is the one place where he's actually, you know, you know where he is, you know what he's doing. He's like, you know what, let him come back to the team and I'll tire him out so he won't have any energy or no time to go hang out wherever he's hanging out. And he advocated for me and I just remember getting back to the field and he sat down and he talked to me and, you know, he kind of encouraged me and just said, hey man, you know, and just keep your head on straight and all this other things. What was the most valuable lesson you learned through a challenge or defeat growing up? I just remember being in Arkansas on the football team and, and we had a good squad, man. There were juniors and seniors that were good players. And I remember junior year, the team was so good, man. We went all the way to the state championship, you know, and again, I was just a role player, you know, occasionally coming in. And I just remember losing. We lost in a state championship game. And I remember, you know, even though I was a role player, like how much that hurt and that was devastating to the squad. You know, I didn't realize it in the moment, but when I moved to Georgia, that team had never been to the state championship or at least hadn't been in a long time. And I came in sort of with that attitude of I've been to a state championship game. 
I know what it takes. And I would constantly be the one like encouraging the seniors to be like, be better leaders. And let's understand that we are leaders and getting the juniors and sophomores. And so I believe that I just learned and understood through a loss, like it just better prepared me for the next season. And guess what? We went to state that year in Georgia. We got to play in the Georgia Dome, you know, and I think it was the semifinals or quarterfinals. I forget exactly when we got to play in the Georgia Dome. And then we went to the state championship game. We got beat again. But it was just one of those things that I was like through those losses. I just knew what I needed to do and what I how I needed to improve and what I needed to work on. And honestly, that's why now if something doesn't work out for me, which some people would look at as a loss, I don't take it as an L. I look at it as there's an opportunity, there's perspective. What am I supposed to be learning? What am I supposed to be gravitating to? What's the takeaway from this? Because there's a takeaway from everything. It's just a matter of how aware and open and inviting you are to the lesson. What's something you wrestled or struggled with in middle or high school? Acceptance. I, I, you know, man, my mother, you know, the typical immigrant story in the sense of came here, left two kids behind with my grandmother. One of those kids passed away from an illness that she was born with when my mother was here. My mother has experienced a lot of loss. My grandmother gave her up when she was a kid. She wasn't allowed to go to school beyond third grade and was put to work. My father leaves her. She's in abusive relationships. My mother's experienced a lot of loss. And the thing was is that my mother, I know she loves me dearly, but unfortunately, because she never dealt with those experiences, she just had the experiences and then she looked for distraction because part of that is culturally, that's what we do. And obviously the society back then, we weren't having these kind of conversations that we're having in our society today around mental health and sort of removing the stigma that's related to it. But my mom projected and displaced a lot of her trauma and fear onto me. I believe, and I think Brene Brown says this, I I, I believe what she says. She's like, in vulnerability, you find community. And I have done nothing but be vulnerable. And I I truly believe that's how we really make an impact if we're willing to go to that place. And so the thing is, is that my mother has always loved me, but she loved me as long as I operated within these parameters. As long as I did this, then she would love me. And I think for a long time, I was just looking for unconditional love. I was looking for acceptance. I was looking literally for a home and consistently being able to experience those things. My identity, I had no idea who I was. I had no idea just where I sort of fit in, in my little world that I was in at that time in Arkansas. Yeah, it was a challenge, man. And I definitely struggle with that too, JR. I mean, there's so much of your story that I can relate to. And being a Korean kid on military bases, as you know, which at the time I was growing up was predominantly white, some African-American, a few Hispanics, but there were no Asian people unless one of the, the men had married you know, an Asian woman in Japan or Korea when they were stationed there. Right. But that's only a handful of people. And I really struggled with that acceptance, too, just because I wasn't white. I wasn't black. I wasn't Hispanic. And uh, I also didn't speak Korean. You know, so the few times I was around Korean people, they would remind me like, hey, you're not Korean enough. And so I really, really struggled with my identity as well and just yearning for that. And, And, you know. I think because I was outgoing and because I wanted it so badly to have friends and to have relationships, I was able to find some people like that. And you alluded to it earlier that you're around folks who really had no aspiration to leave Hope, Arkansas, which is deeply ironic. 
the name of your town that you grew up in. It wasn't until I got to Northwestern University that I finally started to meet people who accepted me for who I was, but also had some ambitions, you know? That's the way I felt when I moved to Georgia my senior year of high school. You know, that was the first time I remember starting school and a, and a couple of weeks into this, the, the year, I remember being called into the office and pulled out of class and I go into the office and they tell me to go sit with the counselor. And I go sit with the counselor and the counselor's like, hey, let's talk about your grades. Let's talk about academics. He's like, you're not gonna be able to graduate on time. You don't have the proper grades, enough credits. And I was like, well, what can I do? I, I gotta graduate. And he was like, but why have your grades been like the way they have been? And I started to explain to him some of the things that I've experienced and the challenges. And he says, do you want to graduate on time? I said, I do. And he said, all right, this is what we can do. And he started putting the plan together. And, wow. and, and, and it, again, the power of one person, man. Literally, I started going to night school, senior high school. I got a job. I'm going to school. Like, I'm going to night school just so I can graduate on time. You know, it literally just takes one individual. And that was the first time where not only I felt like somebody cared enough from an educational standpoint, that was the first time where I felt like I saw other Hispanic people, because like you, when I was in Arkansas, I was born in the United States. I was around a lot of Mexican kids, kids that in most, most of them were from Mexico. So like you, I wasn't Mexican enough for them. I didn't speak fluently enough for them. And then for the other kids, I was, I was the Mexican. And finally, when I moved to Georgia, it was like, oh, I connected with this, this term that you hear about often is Chicano. There was other Chicanos there, right? There were other Hispanic kids that were, you know, first generation or maybe second generation American. And, and they didn't, some of them didn't even speak Spanish and I did, but it was cool. And then people cared, people embraced me, people had ambition. And dude, th that was one of the turning points in my life that made me realize and has carried me a lot in these certain moments over the course of my life in the last 19 years is that when I encounter a space that I feel like doesn't feel right or it, it's uncomfortable or whatever, I always remind myself like, just stay with it, man, because it's just giving you something. So for that next phase of your life, you're going to find what you're looking for. It, because I learned that from going from Arkansas to Georgia. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Winning Is Not Everything. Please make sure to like the podcast and subscribe to the podcast so you can immediately get the latest episode. If you have any comments or questions, visit my website, seankjensen.com and go to the contact page where you can even leave me a voice recording. Winning is not everything, but the three H's to be a real hero in life are hustle, humility, and heart. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, and we'll see you again next time.